everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Hummison, the founder of Vanks, and today I'm excited because yesterday we launched the Cannabis Industries Jobs Report, and today we have the creator of the Jobs Report joining us. We're joined by Bruce Barcott, who's an editor, journalist, and like I said, the creator of the Cannabis Jobs Report. Bruce, how are you? Welcome. Carson, I'm doing great. Good to be with you here. I am uh, always look forward to, uh, to launching the Jobs Report every year. So tell me a little bit about how the Jobs Report came about. Yeah, this was a, this was a project that started back in 2017 when uh, I was um, kind of a bit of a new editor in the cannabis space at the time. And there were a lot of, uh, what do I want to say, a lot, of, a lot of numbers bouncing around about how, exactly how many jobs were supported by legal cannabis at that point. We only had a handful of adult use states and a handful of medical states. And nobody really had an actual number. And so I assigned a freelance reporter to go out and say, oh, look, look, just what's the number? And uh, the reporter came back and said, there is no number. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there's got to be a number. Like, people have jobs. We see them. Like, I have a job in the cannabis industry as an editor. and so we did a little more digging, and that first year, there were a couple of critically important reports that came out that allowed us to start to actually estimate how many jobs were supported by legal cannabis. Um, and it has just grown since then into this amazing annual project that has become kind of the gold standard for um, cannabis job counts um, in the United States. And it's, it's, it's grown just as the cannabis industry itself has grown. And what's pretty crazy is that in 2017, I'm looking at the report right now, in 2017, the first year that you did the report, there was 122,000 jobs, and now there's 417,000 jobs. So like you said, the industry has significantly grown since you've taken this project on. Is that what you expected would happen when you started in 2017? Not quite. I mean, we didn't quite know what to expect uh, back in 2017. And um, fortunately, we were aided early on. We started um, partnering with Whitney Economics and Bo Whitney, for those of you who don't know him. Bo is sort of the foremost labor economist in the cannabis space. He does a lot of consulting with uh, nations around the world, with states, uh, and he's really close to this data. Um, And we partnered with him and Basically to say, listen, Bo, take our numbers and just hammer them. Tell us where we're wrong. Tell us what we're missing. Uh, and that has grown into a partnership that has, has flourished ever ever since. Um, we have seen over the years, we've kind of come to expect double-digit growth year over year. Um, we've had anywhere from 15% growth to 41% growth uh, one year over year. Um, and this year is the first year uh, since we've started the jobs report where we actually saw a slight dip in the number of jobs nationwide. Yeah, so so for this year, for those listening, we we Leafly and Vanks decided that we were going to do a little bit of a passing of the torch. And so going forward, Vanks is going to partner with Bruce and Bo to produce this report, which is why if you're looking to find this report, you can find it on Vanks.com. Which... Which I love. It's right in your wheelhouse. I mean, you're all about jobs, so. Yeah, it it seemed like it made kind of sense. Uh, We just thought maybe the jobs company should put this out. So this is our first rodeo doing this with Bruce, although we've read it closely. You know, Bruce, um, from your perspective, 
and what you found in this report, why did we see jobs decline this year? And, you know, then I could talk about what we saw at, you know, at Vangst. Yeah. Uh, well, we had a, a confluence of factors all come together in 2022. Um, first, there was the essentially the calming of the pandemic effect um, in 2020, 2021. We saw about a 20% bounce, a rise in sales because of the pandemic, because people were stuck at home, didn't, weren't spending money on going out socially or to the movies or theater or concerts. Um, and essentially in 2022, that purchasing effect calmed down to its more of its natural pre-pandemic level. So you saw a slight dip in sales nationwide, mostly in uh, the more established states. But then you also had a number of factors come in like inflation, uh, which also tamped down consumer spending and also and made it more difficult to open up new stores. Uh, you had the cooling of investment interest in cannabis for a number of reasons, um, including the fact that interest rates, just the base, basic interest rates, uh, doubled in 2022. And so cheap money was no longer cheap. And a number of companies in the cannabis world, even though, I mean, cannabis is still young enough that a lot of companies are partly supported by an investment float. Like maybe they'll make it 75, 80% on actual earned revenue, but that last 25, 20% um, is made up for with investment dollars. And when those investment dollars go away, um, then you got to pull back and actually just kind of make it on what you're selling month, month to month. Um, we can get into a little bit more of that, but that's, those are the overriding factors we saw this year. Yeah. And from the bank's perspective, you know, most of the time when companies call us up and they're telling us that they're doing layoffs and we ask, why are you doing layoffs? It is capital related. We were unable, we were unsuccessful in raising. We're out of runway. We need to preserve our cash to extend our runway. Like the hands down number one reason that we hear from where we're sit is capital restraints. And I, I look, I think risky investments in general, like right now uh, from Q1 of 2022 to Q1 of 2023, we saw a 54% drop in VC funding. And just that's just a risk investment. And cannabis is risky as well. It's an unclear timeline in terms of when legis any form of legislation is coming. And so I think in this interest rate environment, investors are less interested in, 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 in risky investments, which are, you know, clearly they're categorizing as, as cannabis. Yeah, that's interesting. And, it's, and, you know, when you think about cannabis as well, uh, of course, cannabis does not have that backstop of basic small business bank loans that other industries might have. You know, if you're a proven successful operator, you've got a track record of years of, of, of plenty of income, plenty of revenue. Um, there's there's no opportunity for anyone in the cannabis space to go into a bank and say, hey, look, we're a local company, we're strong, we're solid, just, you know, want to borrow a little bit to, to get by this, this rough patch this year. Um, that's not available. You, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's investors, private investors, or, or bust, essentially. And, well, you know, what I, what I find is so crazy is that in the limited regulated market that we have, we still generated nearly 25 or over $25 million or $25 billion in sales. And so it's like cannabis is inevitably going to be one of the largest consumer product categories in the U.S. and in the world. Uh, but legislation is holding us back. So, so how big of a role do you think legislation plays in this? And if, and if a politician is reading this or listening to this, what's the message to them? I think the message is that the 
the, the grand experiment of cannabis legalization you know, is an overwhelming success, but it needs guardrails that make sense. Um, guardrails. A lot of the, the um, what do I want to say? We had a section in the report this year uh, for the first time that looked at the potential that was not being realized in states that were already legal, states like California, states like New York, where uh, a lot of the you know my natural migration that happens from the non-regulated market, uh, illicit, illicit sales of, of cannabis to the legal regulated market isn't taking place simply because consumers don't have enough stores nearby to make it convenient for them to buy legally. Uh, we see that in California where, you know, we're still seeing 50% uh, or less of the true cannabis decline, sorry, cannabis demand in California being served by legal regulated stores. And in New York, they do have, you know, they do have a, a plan to have more and more stores open up, but New York is legal now and there still remain only a handful of actual adult use stores open and operating. So we're looking forward to New York coming on board and adding thousands of jobs uh, over the next few years, but that it's, it's going to take time and it's going to take you know, work from policymakers to get those regulations right. California is also facing a number of things like high taxes, regula- you know, high regulatory costs, um, where the non-regulated market can come in and really undermine uh, their business model. Yeah, so for folks that aren't looking at the report, to, to, to sort of put a number to the, the, the chart that Bruce was just referring to, in a place like California right now, there's about 83,000 jobs, but the total potential could be 133,000. So that's very staggering. But, you know, and I want to get into New York. So this is a perfect segue. Right now, there's about 2,100 jobs in New York. However, the full potential, we see something close to 65,000 jobs that, that, that could be created. So Bruce, when you think about New York, when do you expect and what needs to happen in order for us to see us jump from the 2,000 100 jobs to the 65,000 jobs? Uh, I, simply the continuous rollout of licenses. Um, licenses for cultivators, that's farmers, uh, licenses for product manufacturers, and especially licenses for retailers in every town in New York. Um, you know, there are, like we say, there are a handful of stores currently open. Um, New York has approved something like 300 uh Retail licenses—that is—that is, they've they've given the go-ahead for the state regulators to issue those licenses. But we really, we think that that this is a market that really could and should support about you know 1,200 retail outlets. If you look at other state models that are successful and how many you know how many stores per million people there are, so there's a long way to go in New York, and I think that there. They're going to get there. I'm, you know, there's a lot of controversy in New York about uh, the state regulatory agency, but you know, I've spoken with people there, and, and I actually have 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 high confidence that they are doing the job uh, that they're meant to do. That they're not, you know, it's not a bunch of uh, uh, people who don't know what they're doing. They're very smart, and they're going about it the right way. I have a lot of hope in in New York. And and so, in in, in speaking of New York and in. And- newer markets, you know, last year, the the place where we saw the biggest gain was in Missouri, where we saw almost 7,000 jobs added. That was a 350% gain mark. You know, the the total state's now up to close to 10,000 jobs. 
Can you talk to us just about the progression? So a state opens up like New York, and then is there an initial pop in jobs, and then it kind of levels off? Or what are the general trends that you've seen when a new market opens? Yeah, it very much depends on which model a new state um, goes with. Now, uh, Missouri, we saw this in, in Missouri and New Mexico, uh, also in Montana, where essentially the state said, look, we're going to take, we have hundreds of existing medical dispensaries. What we're going to do is offer them the first licenses to sell to all adults. And so when you do that, you can essentially then just flip a switch and those hundreds of stores are immediately open and available to all adult consumers. New York is different because it only has a handful of um, medical dispensaries, I think like 40 to serve the entire state of 20 million people, but the state then didn't even actually allow them to open to all adults. They said, no, hold on. We're going to make sure that we get this right. We've got really some, some, some serious equity measures built into our law, and we're going to carry those out. So you have a, sort of a very much a local state or business by business build out in New York, as opposed to just flipping the switch on hundreds of stores. So that's the, the reason for the difference in New York versus a state like Missouri, where all those stores were already up and running. They just had to staff up. Uh, to handle the increased traffic. Got it. That that makes a lot of sense. Um, what if, what if, like Michigan? It's 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 the second largest job market, right? There's California has yeah. eighty three thousand yeah. five hundred ninety three, and then number two is Michigan at. 35,000. What, what, why, why all the growth in Michigan? Michigan does not get the respect it deserves in the cannabis world. <laughs> I have to say, I like Michiganders, full-on respect to you. I remember many years ago, I went to one of my first uh, cannabis conferences, uh, trade shows, and I kept running into these little small groups of people from Michigan. And I was like, what are you doing, Michigan? What are you doing here? And they're like, hey, we have, we have a lot of medical dispensaries in Michigan. We have a long history of cannabis activism in Michigan. Uh, I don't know for, for this is going way back in the cultural day, but like John Sinclair, look him up. Um, John Lennon actually put on a famous concert to free John Sinclair, who was basically busted for you know having a joint back in the day. But there's a lot of deep history there. And Michigan has just quietly come on. Uh, last year, they opened 200 new licensed stores. They now have a total of 633 stores, and that has allowed them to capture a significant chunk of previously non-regulated sales. Um, it's a it's a it's a pretty impressive story in in Michigan. I'm I'm really uh, uh, kind of pleased to see them leap ahead of uh, Colorado and some more established states this year. And as as you said, you know they're now the um, second largest cannabis employer in the United States. That's great. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because Michigan for us last year as a hiring company was our number one market. And so oh, now we're really? seeing this. Yeah, wow. it was our, so we generated the most revenue. So that was just an mm -hmm. interesting, you know, at our last board meeting, our investors were like, why are you doing so well in Michigan? And now it's great to be able to show, well, here's why it's the second biggest job market in the, in the country and more jobs are 
you know, jobs were created in Michigan versus California where we lost 13% of the jobs. Right, right. And I think, you know, uh, I think New Jersey is also coming along, um, you know, maybe a, as opposed to New York, which, you know, sorry, New Jersey and New York, you're already always paired and you hate it, but that's the fact of life. Um, but New Jersey really, it, it um, more than, it, it uh, I think, sorry, um, more than doubled its uh, number of jobs in the past year. Um, you know, they famously opened on, was it uh, 421 last year? Uh, and so uh, it's nice to see them ramping up and, and, and uh, getting more stores open uh, to serve a, a pretty healthy population. I think they've got about 9 million, 9 million people there. And then let's, let's not forget about Florida, which, holy cow. Yeah, Florida. I mean, yeah, they have, yeah. we, we uh, tallied about 29,000 jobs in Florida this year. And, you know, they added, I don't know, I, I don't have it in front of me, I think 100 to 200,000 new medical patients over the past year or so. So uh, Florida, everybody is sort of, you know, waiting for Florida to um, legalize for all adults at the same time. It's, uh, the industry there is already very robust. I mean, they're the fourth largest, uh, employer, right? Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it goes just for, for folks, not just for medical, j just for medical. So for folks not having the report in front of you, you, you should have it in front of you. Mm -hmm. Thanks.com to download. <laughs> but number one job market is California. Number two is Michigan. Number three is Illinois. And then Florida is number four and, 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 yeah, Florida's number four, and it's only it's only medical. So, right, right. I mean, imagine the imagine what's going to happen when when they make the switch. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that's been interesting over the years, and and Bo Whitney and I talk about this a lot every year when we um, uh, kind of get our our uh, fo jobs formula tweaked to that year's condition is um, we're constantly trying to find ways to account for gains in efficiencies in the cannabis industry, in cannabis companies, um, tech, new technology. You know, I think, you know, 10 years ago, I think all just about all trimming was done by hand. Now, a lot of trimming is still done by hand in the industry, but there are a lot of new technologies that come on that allow um, manufacturers to take uh, flour and, and trim it, you know, using uh, machines and, and, and this sort of thing. And uh, so it's, this is a, you know, as you well know, it's an industry that is not just, you know, growing in the same way every year, but it is growing and evolving and expanding in new ways. Completely. And there's just so many new products out there. We've recently had the folks from Trim, which helps cultivators be more efficient. I mean, I feel like there's going to be more products that come into the space to help employees be more efficient and thus need less employees overall. So that's a really good call out. All right, so let's switch switching gears. We're now in 2023. What are your predictions for? Do we start to see growth again? Do we see another year of decline? Uh, what do you predict? I think we start to see growth again, um, maybe in the second half of 2023. Um, Bo Whitney wrote about this in, in the report um, specifically, and, and said that he thinks that there will be a, I think, 11 to 12 percent. Um, year over year growth in revenue in 2023, and uh, you know that's that's optimistic. But um, you know, given that we actually saw a three percent increase in revenue in 2022, it's 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 pretty interesting. I think that um, one of the keys to that 
growth will be the settling of wholesale flower prices uh, in more mature markets like California and Oregon, um, Colorado, where um, you know those those wholesale prices when they take a dive, it makes it harder for everybody to make a dollar. Um, in the industry, it's, you know, kind of, it's good news for consumers who love flour because they get cheaper flour. Um, but one of the interesting parts about that is, you know, flour remains such a strong part of this industry. And I think that when, when flour prices uh, decline, you, there, it's not, what do you want to say? It's not fully a, 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 a elastic where it's, you know, people don't buy twice as much flour if flour is on sale for half the cost. I mean, there's only so much flour you can enjoy in the matter of a week or a month or whatever it is, right? Um, so it, it's uh, 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 it's an, an interesting dynamic there. So, Bruce, you know, it's kind of my one of my last questions for you. What was just the hands down most surprising thing that you saw? Of course. And I, I guess, like for me, I wasn't even really that surprised we saw a decline. I thought there might have been more of a decline. So it wasn't overly surprising, you know, the, the overarching headline of the report. Um, but what surprised you as we get into the thick of it? I think what surprised me is the powerful effect um, that outside economic forces have had on the cannabis industry over the past year. Um, I think that... Uh, for a lot of us, there might have been an assumption that cannabis is a recession-proof industry. Um, and we certainly were led to believe that during the pandemic, it was definitely a, a pandemic-proof industry for you know very specific reasons. But the effect of higher interest rates, uh, the effect of inflation... Um, the effect of higher um, building costs for new companies that want to open a store or a growing uh, facility, this sort of thing. The profound effect of all those things, you know, including investor, simply investor optimism or pessimism, uh, really came home this year uh, and, and had, a, had a profound effect. And I, you know, Bo and I went back and forth many days looking at these numbers i'm like we're like are you sure are you sure are we sure and we you know call up different companies and check with them and seeing what what pressures they're feeling and uh yeah it's it's uh it's been a really fascinating year like i say most years you know we can count on some double digit growth uh in part because you know consumer demand has been there and growing and we have new states coming on board um, but this is the first year when those outside influences really came came came, came in and, and gave cannabis a pounding. Yeah, I know. I think it's so easy. It was so easy for all of us to say, especially to investors or, you know, to outsiders, cannabis is a recession-proof space, right? If you're down, you're going to consume more vices. Alcohol is recession-proof. And so that is a great point. I, I, I wonder... And I, I wonder if other industries, other vice industries that went through, you know, uh, sort of the legalization process had to go had to go through the same reset that we're going through. 
I don't know. You know, I one of the things that I found helpful was to think of an of analogies, not necessarily in um, in vice industries, but in other industries that were profoundly affected by the pandemic, like Amazon, uh, like Uber Eats, uh, like Zoom, where especially with Amazon as a, as a model, um, you know, I don't know if any other company was more profoundly affected by the pandemic than Amazon. And they really uh, dramatically ramped up hiring. And now as they see, you know, their, the pandemic effects wearing off, they're really shedding jobs pretty quickly. Uh, and so that was, that was helpful for me in, in terms of trying to understand what was, what was going on here. That, that's a great point. Well, Bruce, if people want to find you or connect with you directly or follow you on social media, how do folks get in touch with you? Uh, reach me at, uh, at my Twitter handle, uh, at brucebarcott.com. I'm also on Mastodon, uh, trying out that new space. And uh, uh, basically, uh, check out the, the Vanks Jobs Report. Um, if you have comments, leave them there. Uh, I really love to hear what people have to have to say about it, um, what their experiences are, and I'm looking forward to, to working with Vanks to, uh, going forward. Yeah, I can't wait to be here in a year's time to look at what we find from this year. Like, I, I really want to see what happens this year. So it's going to be super interesting. Bruce, thank you so much for all the work that goes into this report. It's hands down the best report in the space right now. You and Bo have just done an incredible job producing this since 2017, and we are so honored to be partnering with you on it going forward. So thank you for joining me, and thanks to you so much for the work on this report. Absolutely. Great talking with you, Carson. Great talking to you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.